You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. I have a message for you tonight based upon resurrection, and it's kind of a unique perspective. I've never shared this passage before quite like this, so I'm excited to bring it to you. And I've already shared it uh, last night. I shared it in Pastor Ben Chu's church at um, uh, Talent Beacon. We had a really good time there last night of fellowship, and uh, the brothers and the sisters there are doing great, and uh, definitely you all know Ben, he's been in and out, and he came and ministered actually at the Chinese congregation sometime back, and uh, it's, it's good to be in fellowship with him and his ministry and what God is doing. So we were there last night, blessed time, and then this morning the Chinese church also, we shared this message concerning the resurrection of Jesus, but more than that, the resurrection of everyone. So the title of this message is Raised, because the word, the key word that is uh, repetitious throughout the chapter that we're going to focus on tonight is that. But before we do that, an introduction, I want us to read the account of the first person who witnessed Jesus alive after his death, burial, and subsequent resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 11 says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Notice it says there, as he's speaking to Mary, who was the first person to see Jesus alive after the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. He says, go and tell my brothers this, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Concerning the resurrection, it's interesting, and I don't think it's just by happenstance that he said specifically this phraseology of my God, your God, my Father, your Father, because the symbol of resurrection, and this is where a lot of us might not appreciate, especially on a day like this where we all celebrate exactly the resurrection of Jesus, but we have to understand the resurrection of Jesus was an invitation for us to resurrect. And the connection with him that it is our God has become our God because of what Jesus did. At this point, it is finished. Nowhere else in the Gospels does Jesus speak this way, saying, your God, my God, your Father, my Father. He mentions briefly, but here I think he's trying to emphasize the point that now after the resurrection and the work being complete, that the connection is there for us to be able to enter into our full inheritance. All that is coming to us because of what Jesus has done and because of our alliance with him. 
And this woman, Mary Magdalene, is the first person to see him alive. And she would have never imagined, really, that this was possible. That's why she did not recognize him. She did not go looking for the living. She went looking for the dead. When the living spoke to her, although it was Jesus, she could not possibly see him as Jesus because it is impossible. And although Jesus had said it many times, three times specifically, he prophesied concerning his death, his burial, and his resurrection, declaring to them that I will rise. He spoke, he even called himself the resurrection to Martha when she was discussing with him about the fact that if he had been there, Lazarus would not have died or that he could rise. And she, he said, well, he will rise. And she said, well, yeah, I know that he'll rise in the resurrection institutionalizing the idea of resurrection as some distant theory or religious principle that resurrection may happen. But as far as accepting, grasping the reality of resurrection, it's very challenging. And that's why she couldn't easily accept the fact that it was Jesus until he called her by name. And I guess in the way that he said her name, suddenly her lights turned on and she realized, oh, that's him, and cried out, Rabboni, my teacher, and there was the first person to witness. Technically, this is salvation according to Romans 10, 9, and 10. We believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, what? That Jesus rose from the grave. So the power of salvation came from the resurrection. Recognizing, seeing, and declaring it, she, in fact, that's why I said, go and tell them that you've seen me. So to fulfill exactly what it says in Romans 10, she went and declared to them, I've seen the Master alive, she confessed resurrection, thereby being the process through which we all get saved and that she got saved at this moment. But because of this virtual impossibility that a person could rise from the dead, people often find it difficult to accept it as a fact. I mean, we say it, but saying it and hearing it, it's one thing. In fact, we relegate resurrection to a realm usually of fantasy. Uh, we know in movies that someone can come back to life. You know, even E.T. came back from the grave and we see people that die in movies and we think, oh, it's a fantasy. And we hear sometimes stories about people rising from the dead. I have friends that have actually seen people raised from the dead. So it's a little easier for them. But for most of us, it's not that easy. And at this time of year, everybody's celebrating it, but I don't think they grasp the fullness of what it means. And in fact, there's a lot of opposition to the concept of resurrection. If Satan had to choose one thing to attack, one belief, one principle that we believe in, if he had to target one thing to weaken in our resolve of belief, it would be resurrection. Because it is the linchpin. It is the key to everything. And today, Easter, when so many celebrate this, I think we need to focus on it like never before and gain a deeper understanding. And the good thing is that Paul, in his journeys, he went, he preached the gospel, many got saved, but then people would run right after him. As soon as he would leave, they would come and teach that the resurrection was not true. And then it did not happen. And some would believe and not hold on. Why? Because Satan knew if he could convince them that it did not happen, they would not be saved. So as a result, he finally writes an impassioned plea, a letter, an angry discourse, actually, from the wording, to the Corinthians about resurrection. And in this one chapter, 24, 25 times, he uses the word raised. 
raise, this raise, that raise, not just about Jesus, but also about us. And so this message is the 15th chapter of Corinthians, almost, of 1 Corinthians, almost the whole chapter. I take some sections and separate for the sake of time, but we're going to see five important facts about the resurrection. And my hope, my prayer, my desire is that by the time you walk out of this door on this Easter, you will have a deeper understanding of the resurrection a deeper belief, thereby strengthening your resolve and your hope in Christ. Certainly giving you a motivation to live day by day here on earth. And Paul addresses that in his letter. So let's start with number one. First of all, the gospel is resurrection. What's good news? Good news is that Jesus rose from the grave. And by extension, we will too. That is the whole point of the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. He says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, Jesus, I mean, Peter defines, not Peter, Paul, we get one of these characters right, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, no. One, pick a Bible character. No, it's, it is definitely Paul. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, meaning they have died since they witnessed that, because this was written some time after. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And Paul starts off by telling the Corinthians that he wanted to remind them of the gospel. And then he goes on to define what that is. The gospel is the death, very important, because he took upon himself all of our sins and he died. Uh, that's not exactly good news. In fact, it's puzzling why they call it Good Friday. I don't think Jesus would be in agreement with the word good concerning what he experienced that day. But the burial then came, whereby he was not even there or aware of what was going on because it was a lifeless body. And he went down into the earth. He led captivity captive in all that doctrine we understand about what he did. He conquered then death. And on the third day, most importantly, the real good news, he rose from the dead. And it was important that he was seen. That's why he showed himself with infallible, indubitable proof for 40 days after the resurrection. Walking, talking, exposing himself... Um, in public, 500 people showing them, even though he had received a new form. Now, they saw him as a human, as a man. We're going to get back to that later. They saw him as an individual, even in a transformed, new, resurrected body. He appeared like everyone else to be physical, and you could touch him as he invited his own disciples. Come and touch me. You don't believe me, Thomas? Put your fingers in the holes if you want. Because he was physical and real. And we're going to get back to that in a minute because that's really the most exciting part to me about resurrection is what's coming for us. But here we start on the foundation of the gospel believing indeed that Jesus did this, that he rose 
from the grave. It's by this gospel that we are saved. He symbolizes the most important elements of that gospel in the simplicity of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we celebrate that. We celebrate it in baptism. Water baptism is an outward sign of that process. We identify with what Jesus has done. We accept and believe. When I was in Mexico, I, I um, prayed for people. We water baptized many people while we were there. It was a very exciting moment. If you get a chance to see any video, I think some video was of me praying. You will see me doing certain gyrations and, and people thought it was the Holy Spirit. Actually, it was little fish had swum into my shorts and decided to have a snack. And as a result, I'm doing this. And everybody's just thinking, wow, he's anointed. Look at the power of God. No, no. It was not that. There was something going on that I was not comfortable with at that moment. But I had to do my job. We were in a rushing river and the fish found found a refuge from the current. And thought they'd just take a nibble while they were there. But here we see the resurrection. The gospel, the bottom line is that the, the gospel is resurrection. He appeared to these people. And then finally Paul's humble assessment saying that last of all, appeared to be also as to one abnormally born. In other words, not from that process. But I like the way Paul came to the understanding because it's what we share. We did not physically see Jesus, nor did he. He saw Jesus in a spiritual apparition. He saw Jesus as light. He experienced on the road to Damascus and then later was taught and God taught him as well as all that time that he spent three days blind after that Ananias came laid hands on him and then as you move forward he then spent a couple of weeks with Peter and Jerusalem to be associated with him but then after that 14 years went by before we ever see him in the 13th chapter of Acts in Antioch because during that time he was learning and getting his story right and being schooled by believers and other people, learning, growing, but more importantly, receiving revelations from Jesus himself. And that is the perfect picture of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, because we do not physically see Jesus like I see Alvin here. Some people may have such a visitation where they see a physical Jesus appear to them, and it does happen. But I've not had that. But yet I believe beyond the shadow of doubt and who he is and what he's done for us and his authority and his power. He appeared to James, then the apostles, as he appears to us like he did to Paul in the spiritual capacity. But as Paul goes on, he, he covers some very important things in this chapter. The 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is, is the resurrection chapter. It's more the teaching about resurrection. We see the narrative of the resurrection, which most pastors today on this Easter Sunday, that's what they're studying. But I thought, man, we know that. We know that and we can tell the story inside and out of from each of the synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. We know that. But Paul's trying to make a statement here in some depth. So I want us to go a little deeper than the face value of resurrection and see really important facts about it. These are important facts. First, it's the gospel. Second, the enemy wants to cover the truth. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that this is true, but Paul covers it here in the 12th verse. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if we simply have this hope for this life, that that's all, we don't believe in the big part of the picture. We just believe in living a code of ethics and rules concerning Jesus' teachings and what he suggests for us to have happy life and life of abundance, and that's it thinking that we're going to die and that's the end, the grave comes and it's final, and that there's nothing after, then he's saying that we are most to be pitied. That's pathetic. But it's not. We don't just live there. And the reason that he's having to address this issue is because, as I said, there were teachers that went in to try to come against this fact because the enemy wants to destroy that principle. And even though Paul had traveled amongst the Corinthians in many other villages and places starting churches to preach the gospel to them, the truth of resurrection, evil men came. Now you have to understand that the Sanhedrin, the government of religious leaders connected to Judaism, was actually divided in two main parties. You had Sadducees and Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and the Sadducees did not. Sadducees embraced the Pentateuch, but they did not accept the other books as valid books of God. So from the Pentateuch, there is not a lot of talk about a few things, including resurrection. So therefore, they do not accept. That's why they tried to trick Jesus with the question, if a woman marries a man and she does not have children by the man, but he dies, and the law says that she can marry the brother to carry on the name of the deceased, and but he dies too, and you know the story. They go on through the whole thing, and then all of them die. Then when she's in the resurrection, because they didn't believe it, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus says, you know what, you're stupid. <laughs> and the Pharisees loved it because the Pharisees were always in contention with the Sadducees. He's like, you're so dumb. And you, you guys, you're in error. You don't understand the scriptures. And because it's, in the resurrection, it's not going to be like it is here. You're not going to be given in marriage, nor will you be married. It's a whole other age, another time. But he defended resurrection. And in fact, he gained a lot of friends in the Pharisees that day when he did. Because he put the Sadducees to silence. So Jesus, in his life, was defending resurrection as a concept. While on earth teaching. So after he dies, there are witnesses. Actually, the first witnesses, even before Mary, were soldiers. Because the soldiers were present when this happened, but it's interesting to note that the devil had a plan from the beginning to cover this up. Matthew 28, 11 says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests of all that had taken place. That is the resurrection that they witnessed, the power manifesting there. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. They paid them off and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. This story has been spread among the Jews to this day. In fact, that story went on from that moment in the Gospels in for many years and was shared as a ploy to stop people from getting saved. Satan does not want people to get saved. 
and he's always trying. Now, still to this day, he erodes, chips away at our confidence in resurrection. And we, in fact, even Paul mentions it in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians concerning the Lord's Supper. When we take communion, that some people die prematurely because they're not properly discerning the body and the blood and also the resurrection. The whole process. So the discernment that we have of resurrection is really dependent upon us. Our focus and our decision. By faith, we accept and believe it. And I know we know this, but we need to really pay careful attention because we do have an enemy. We have an ally who is Jesus, and Jesus is screaming at the resurrection. Jesus is saying to us every day, I am the resurrection. But yet the devil is saying, yeah, but what if not? I mean, honestly could say, when you think about your dead body coming back, that it's a little enigmatic, a little hard to accept as, a, as reality. I'm not saying that you, you make a decision not to believe. You choose by faith, I'm going to believe. But it's not easy to do. Why? Because it's impossible. But what's impossible with men on earth is possible with God, and God can do it. And he started with Jesus. Everything starts with Jesus. So the enemy wants to cover this up, but we're not going to allow him to do that. A lie covers the truth. The truth remains, but it's not seen because of deception. The resurrection is the truth. The only thing a lie can do is put a shield over it or try to, to create some reasonable doubt so that in the, in the process of your mind, the legalness of your mind in your own court, you render inadmissible the case of resurrection because reasonable doubt is established because Satan is whispering in your ear. Don't listen to it. The resurrection of Jesus is a reality. And we must break through those lies except to accept the fact of resurrection. Amen? Number three, Jesus is the first to rise. It says in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been risen from the dead. So he's countering the act, the fact that people are saying it's not true. He says, no, indeed, he's been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, the firstborn among many brothers he's referred to, then when he comes, those who belong to him. How many of you belong to him? Very important that you make sure you belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. So there's an order. When he has done this, then... The Son Himself will be made subject to Him who put everything under Him, so that God may be all in all. So here we see Jesus as the precursor or the template that we follow. Jesus said it in life. This is what you need to understand. When Jesus said to people in His day, follow me, it didn't mean follow me around to some villages and watch the magic tricks that I do. He meant, follow me through life, follow me into death. He said, unless you take up the cross, you cannot be my disciple. You have to also embrace the possible death, the possible sacrifice of yourself in the line of being faithful to the will of God. Accept that, 
follow me, he says, because if you do, and you can do that armed with the knowledge of resurrection, you will follow him into death. But the good thing is, just like him, you will not be bound by death, because death is no longer empowered against you, because the power is destroyed. So you too will rise from the dead. So just like that one man, Adam, sinned, so one man, Jesus, did the right thing and we can receive resurrection through him. Revelation 20.11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him uh, who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. In other words, these books plurally mentioned here are pretty much the archives of every action of every man and anything they've ever done. It's evidence, let's say. It's uh, like closed-circuit television, recordings, videos, audio tips. It is everything you've ever done. Every evil, every sin, every darkness, all the works of men are recorded. They will not escape notice. However, um, there, are, there is good news for us in that. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death in Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. In other words, what was written in those books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, the lake of fire was established as an ultimate punishment tool and banishment from God of the souls who simply do not believe in the resurrection. In other words, the book of life is a list of people who believe in the resurrection. Because that's how your name gets put in there. That's how salvation comes. Once again, emphasizing the importance of resurrection. And really, the resurrection of all humanity is an inescapable fact. Everybody says the dead will rise, great and small, whether you're a believer or not. You can die not believing in the resurrection, being atheist, rejecting entirely anything about God, you're still going to rise from the dead. But Daniel, as well as Revelation, speak clearly about two kinds of resurrection. The resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. So you have two animal pens, basically. And you're either going to be a sheep or a goat. And you'll be separated into those two categories. And the goats will be, it will be explained to them why. They simply did not accept who Jesus was. and did not live the life he expected of them. And those sheep are the ones that did believe in Jesus and did accept resurrection. And the way that we get our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life is simply by believing in the resurrection. Now it's going to get exciting because we see Jesus. We see Jesus die, buried, risen again. And we know that he was the firstborn among many brothers. He's the prototype. He's our example. I, want to, I have decided to follow Jesus, not just in life. Because if that's my only hope is that in, in this life that I am most to be pitied, as the Bible says. I'm an idiot. Because that's, that's such a small part of the real benefits of believing in Christ. Resurrection. That not just, yay, Jesus on the throne, look how beautiful, that's great, but what's in it for me? My resurrection. And this is what's exciting because number four is resurrection is transition. It's our metamorphosis. And now Paul's going to get very technical trying to get us to understand it. Because it's very hard to comprehend. It's just it's a wild idea to most people. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but will, uh, I'm sorry, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, fish another. It's true, is it not? If I took before you right now and laid five pieces of meat from different sources, how many of you think you could pretty accurately tell me where the animals, even if it's just the raw meat, how many of you could say that's pork, or that's beef, or that's fish? Uh, not just from the way it looks, even from, you can pick it up and smell it and just about figure out which ones. Why? Because there's a distinctly very different fleshes. Now Paul's using this as an analogy to try to describe and get you to understand that you need to unlock your tiny earth brain that thinks that life is only what you are now and consider that there's another kind of meat that you will become. And this is really fascinating to me from a scientific perspective. And he says, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds, fish. So this is an analogy. He says, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. He goes on in more clarity. The sun has one kind of splendor, right? And the moon another and the stars another and star differs from star and splendor. Well, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. The seed planted becomes something else. You don't plant what you will get. You plant a seed, but it produces a new thing. And it's what he says. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Now, how did Adam come to be? He was formed from the earth, right? We are carbon-based life form. Primarily, we are dirt. In fact, if you've ever uh, had someone in your family cremated, you end up with them in a man-sized jar you know, of, of powder that is really the entirety of their existence. That's it. That's the physical matter remaining because once all the moisture is removed, because we're mostly water, that's all you end up with is a pile of ashes, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. We come from the earth made because when God created us on earth and when we are formed according to the biological processes of humanity, we're formed from this material. Because it's the only material there is. These are the Lego blocks with which he builds. And he builds it. But what's really fascinating is he's saying here, that's one thing, but there is another source of material that's coming. That we will not be built of material of this time. But we will be built, and we will be made of material. We will not be ghosts. We will not be phantoms. We're not going to be misty clouds like we have this concept. We will. That's why Jesus could be touched. Granted, he could walk through a wall or through a locked door. So he, there are some properties to this new matter that transcended the laws of physics that we know. Which it would have to be because that body is an imperishable body. This body is a perishable body. I see it perishing every day. I have to 
bathe, you know. So I get undressed, and there's a mirror. In there. Sometimes I want to remove the mirror. It'd be better not to have to look at that. Because I see the perishing that goes. Every year that goes by, I'm dying. I'm 50. I'm great. That's wonderful. I feel good. I feel healthy. I don't have a problem with my health. But uh, 10 years ago, it wasn't quite like I am now. So I'm projecting forward. When I'm 60, I imagine I'm going to be also quite different than 50. Some of you have already beaten me there. So you can attest to the fact, yeah, I can't quite do the things. I just with my friend Mike Gaskin in Mexico, and he's in his mid-70s, and he had a whole list of things he can't do anymore. And he was telling me, why? Because we are dying. We're perishing. Little by little. Why? Because we're made of fallible material. We're just made of poor stuff. We're made of dirt. But it's not always going to be that way. It's interesting, in context of the resurrection of Jesus, Paul's getting into this technicality because this defines the real, the real hope that we're living for. That resurrection is not just a religious theory, but it is a transition. We are going to go through that process Although we're sown in dishonor, we're raised in glory. We might die in weakness, but we will be raised in power. Our natural body will be sown, but raised up will be a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. That's what I was saying. The second man is of heaven. So you will be made in your new form of heavenly material. Right now they're coming up with new types of materials that have never existed before. Certain plastics that are stronger than steel. Carbon fibers, you know about this. There are things they're coming up with because of technology that no one's ever dreamed of. That they're going to, things will be made of materials that they were not made of in the past that will make them more durable in the future. Already super light materials. We see these things coming out. Those materials have nothing on the materials that God is going to use to reconstruct us. It's very exciting. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Very exciting. So I know it's difficult to believe this, but this is a fact. And this is because the process is unprecedented. We haven't seen, you don't, do you know anybody resurrected? Do you have a friend? Oh, I have this friend, he died in a car accident, he came back to life. Actually, he has his new heavenly body, he came over to show me, it's really cool. He walked through some walls for me. No, only one has done that, and it was Jesus. Now you know why he took 40 days to show it, because I would have had a million questions. Can I touch it, first of all? Yeah, and he, yeah, come and touch me, no problem. He would have, and I would have probably been astounded at the fact that this new body that he was demonstrating as a prototypical model, see, this is what you will get. I'm sure that you would have, I would have been fascinated and asking questions. So, uh, did you feel the process? What did it feel like? Did, it do, did you like go like in the sci-fi movies where there, you know, there's these movies out now about how they're, you know, um, uh, reprogramming um, bodies to take in, you know, ghost in the machine type principle. No, I would have questions like that. Very technical. Like, so did you see it first and then slip into it and you put it on like a suit? Well, the Bible kind of helps us with that in a moment. So, I, you know, as I said, I have friends that have seen the dead rise, but uh, that's a different kind of resurrection. By the way, resurrection 
comes in two forms. There's resurrection spiritually. And then there's resurrection physically. If you can accept spiritual resurrection, that is exemplified in water baptism, confession and belief, transformation comes, we become new creatures spiritually, but you can get somebody saved. They may have a bigger smile on their face, but they pretty much weigh the same and look the same and their breath smells the same. You understand? There's no natural change. It's a spiritual reformation. But what Paul is saying, just, just hold on to your seats because you're going to be physically transformed into, that's good news to me. I'm looking forward to my new body. I can't wait to get it and play with it and use it and see what it can do. Man, the first thing I'm going to do is go run headlong through a wall. I swear, that's the first thing I'm going to do. Take that new body and just charge through the wall. I hope I know how to do it. Maybe there's a learning curve. I would be the only idiot in heaven that bombs off the wall. No, look, you have to think transparent. You have to like, try to teach me. I don't know if there's going to be some counseling, some classes, New Body 101 class. That just sit in. Okay, everybody, open your books. And they teach you, you know, spend a thousand years teaching you how to use the new form. I don't know. My mind runs away with me into all different realms of imagination. We'll go to the last one now because I know you're getting a little bored. Number five. Resurrection is our hope. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Metamorphosis. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You're not simply going to live having paid this price, sacrificed, given up everything. And in my case, with my family living in 27 houses, we've laid down a lot to be able to continue to serve the Lord. I have to think like Peter says to the Lord, Lord, we've given up everything. And he consoled him and said, don't worry about it. Anybody gives anything up in this life, you will receive in this life, but also in the world to come. So that world to come is the resurrection world. I have to live focused on that. That has to be my only constant hope. Otherwise, where's my motivation? Why do I wake up in the morning? Why will I continue? Why will I travel the nations and take chances and risks to preach the gospel? Because every time it's preached, every soul saved, every healing, every encouragement, every infilling of spirit that is a direct result of my influence is amassing wealth for me in a resurrected world that I will have. I absolutely believe this and place my entire hope in that. The whole concept of resurrection is foundational. In fact, Hebrews chapter 6 is one of the six rudiments of the doctrine of Christ. Up there with faith and repentance and uh, baptisms, laying on of hands, eternal judgment, and it says right there, it says resurrection of the dead. 
because we need to grasp that. And I love the last admonition that Paul gives the Corinthians there on the end. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Remember, he's writing this to people who were moved and deceived concerning resurrection. And he fixes it and says, look, it's deeper than you know, it's more important than you know, place your hopes on this. Now, if we are still alive when Jesus comes, we will not die. We will be instantly changed, it says. And he tells, he gives more details to uh, those at Thessalonica when he describes the fact that we'll be caught up with him. Where we get the word harpazo in the Greek that we say rapture, that we will be in that moment. And it's not like we will see the sky open up and trumpets will blow and it's going to be instantaneous. It's with that same word, means twinkling of an eye uh, in a flash. That is, in Greek, that's atomos, indivisible moment of time. You won't know it's happening, it just will be. If he's coming back right now, in the time I cross from consonant to vowel in the word now, it's over with. In fact, inside that, and, and, and he can't even measure it. Boom, I'm there. I'm on a horse charging earth following Jesus. Figuring out, trying to figure out, whoa, what's going on? I have to believe that my mind will be totally turned on at that moment and I'll know, know what's going on. Because that would be a little disorienting. And you're charging through space and time to conquer earth. Jesus saying, charge! Like someone's distantly time-traveled to a strange place. No, we have to know what's going on, but it's going to happen quick. When Jesus comes back, like that, and a dead in Christ will be raised and given that new form of the new material. Thanks be to God, he says, and I give thanks to God today for this fact. Raised. Five important facts about the resurrection. Number one, the gospel is resurrected. What's the good news today? He rose, but even better, we will rise. I don't just sit back and applaud the resurrection and think, oh, that's good, Jesus, good for you. No, man, that's my resurrection. He's saying, come on, let's resurrect, let's do this. I say, yeah, let's go. I'm ready. I want to walk this walk. I believe this. That's the gospel. And the enemy wants to cover that truth. Don't listen to the. Don't think that, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get it better later. No, work at it. Tell people. This is one way you can absolutely strengthen your understanding of resurrection is tell people about the resurrection. Tell them. I was saying to a group last night, I have found that lost people. You say, well, you know, Stephen, you're kind of technical here with this. This is kind of deep. Uh, you went into a lot of details. You know that the lost people find this fascinating? When I meet people who do not know Jesus, I did it uh, at, at the restaurant not long back. I sat outside a table with a, a group of people, and they were there, and they asked, can you, do have, can you they asked me some hard questions? And I said, look, you have about an hour? Because it's not long it's going to take me to explain this to you. And they said, yes. And they just they had a bottle of white wine. They opened it. They poured me a glass. Of course, I sat down. And I sat and talked with them, and I explained this concept. And they were fascinated. Fascinated. Why? Because that's the gospel. Resurrection. You realize that everybody's waiting to die. Everybody's making plans to die. We need to be the people making plans to live forever. Making our plans according to our great hope of resurrection. Jesus is the first. He exemplifies. He showed us. He showed us the prototype. It's like that that unit that they build on the site where Far East is making the condominiums, and you go into it and walk around it, and it's exactly the same dimension, so you can get a feel for it. That was Jesus. He's the showroom yeah. of the new body. 
that we will receive. Resurrection is transition. We will be changed into that new form. And that's our hope. We need to hold on to that. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. How many of you feel like you know a little bit more about resurrection right now? Okay, my mission is accomplished. I did exactly what I set out to do. I certainly enjoyed studying it for you and studying all the corresponding passages, which we did not have time. In fact, it's really gotten me excited about I want to develop a teaching on resurrection probably and um, just like, I could put it into like a six-hour series, just resurrection. So many details. I ran through it. We just rushed through it. But there's so much here that God was showing me. Anyway, why don't we stand on our feet? I want us to pray. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.